our founders just apparently could not imagine the culmination of character traits we found ourselves living under. None of them were like that, so they couldn't imagine it. And the way people like that can't imagine that other people have altruistic motives. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 87, The Slippage, featuring Heather Reagan-White, journalist with the Southwest Daily News. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. We live in strange times, made stranger and more disorienting by a steady stream of conflicting news and information signals from sunrise to sunset. Sifting through these competing signals and processing them to find relevant bits that add value to your life can be an exhausting grind with the potential to wear down a mind's ability to discern truth from fiction. Many are able to recall a time before the excessive pings and dings, reminders, alerts, and the ever-pressing breaking news ticker tape. In truth, my sheer exhaustion with this perpetual flow played a large role in the creation of the Find the Good News podcast. I suppose we all have my general sense of being fed up for that. Still, among the overlapping signals, there are those clear voices that curate and create content that is trustworthy. These are transmissions that I desperately crave, untainted and unbiased by politics, devoted to sharing plain information that can be made useful immediately without clawing through disorienting layers of spin and fog. On this episode of Find the Good News, I get to share my conversation with one such voice that I have come to appreciate. Enter my conversation with Heather Reagan White, a journalist in my hometown of Sulphur, Louisiana. Heather has been reporting, writing, and sharing for 25 years, and in that time, she has become a clear and resonant sound of awareness in our community. As much as I appreciate her good work in our local paper, the Southwest Daily News, I have grown just as fond of her even imbalanced presence on social media. In a community congested with competing information station groups and pages that have more in common with daytime talk and fight shows than they do with journalistic integrity, it is refreshing to know that a clear signal like Heather's is readily available. In my mind, Heather is an ally in the mission to cut through the noisy world of spin, and it was an absolute pleasure for me to have this candid visit with her. Next time you get online or pick up a newspaper to see what's going on in the world, you'd be doing yourself a favor to look for a byline by Heather Reagan White. You'll be guaranteed to get the truth, delivered by a dedicated journalist, and from time to time there might be a well-balanced and educated opinion to go along with it. Now, it's time to make space in your heart for the common good, clear a corner for some good old-fashioned hometown truth, then press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning, you're dreaming up a story I can hear the way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep on the path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light. Old news, bad news, fake news, 
Sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm going to find the good. I love you just as well. Yeah, I imagine it's probably interesting, right? I mean, this is a whole new thing. This isn't like other things that have happened before. I mean, right? Generationally, this isn't going to happen again, I would imagine. No, it's not. And it is uh, It is completely different from anything I've handled so far Yeah. in my 25 years. I'm so engaged, though, I... I'm working harder than I ever have. I can't put it down. I feel like it is crucial that every bit of useful information I can glean from press conferences or, you know, anywhere, I have to get it out there. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's why I wanted to talk to you, honestly. I mean, I'm in a... When I started this show, that was part of why I started it. I mean, the the sad truth is it was almost out of desperation, if I'm being 100% authentic and honest. I was at a point where I was living life, you know, I mean, I had my, my business is doing okay. I mean, we weren't, we were living life, you know, we were just mm-hmm. treading water and doing okay. And, but I realized for me, there's just so much more to it. There's so many other dimensions. And I thought I'm not feeding uh, the relationship dimension outside of my marriage and my children and my clients. But I wasn't feeding it. And when I looked out on the landscape, I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to encounter the types of people that I want to surround myself with? Mm -hmm. And so the answer was just to start looking. And I guess that's kind of when I online, I guess, intersected with you. And uh, I started following or looking. I started noticing people were sharing things you were sharing or things that you were writing and uh, so I was like, well, I want some more of that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was where my connection with you came in. I said, okay, well, so I guess I have a lot of blind spots. I, I You went to Sulphur High, right? St. Louis. St. Louis? Oh, okay. Yeah. But you've did you live in Sulphur when you Lived went to Lived in Sulphur, yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure if we had intersected in high school at any point. So I, I guess think I'm not. a good deal older than you. How old are I'm, you? I'm 47. Oh, okay. All right. I'm 45. Oh, well, not that much older than me. I thought you were a lot younger than me. No, I'm 45. I'm just, uh, you know, I guess I've got that uh, boyish face. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't realize you went to St. Louis. So so you're from Sulphur. You went to St. Louis. So I guess that connection wasn't there. I don't know where I uh, was familiarized with your name and your work, but... Somewhere along well, the way. we did go to that thing at Brimstone on uh, marketing your art. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were there. Were you there in an official capacity? I was, okay. I was but also I was curious just because yeah. it seemed like something that would be interesting. 
Yeah, I actually was hoping to see more of those. I think it's a good idea, you know, just to have some uh, in talks of interest right there in sulfur, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. something I think we desperately need uh, just in our whole area in general. But, you know, sulfur surely needs more of those types of things. Yeah, it's 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 a good place to channel your creativity and with other like-minded individuals, you know, yeah. in a more intimate setting than Facebook. Yeah, right. That's true. Facebook is sort of out there for the world to see, which I still – I'm um, trying to learn how to navigate that even after all these years, you know, what's the right way to do this? I mean, I do in, on one hand, I, I had become the type of person that wanted to just shuck it off because I had, I had sort of just written it off after, right. It was right after my father passed away. Honestly, I think I might've told the story before, but the short version is, is I had watched other people grieve publicly on Facebook yeah. And my heart went out to them. But at, at a certain point, what I started watching was uh, at first there was sympathy towards those people. And then I would watch the community sort of cannibalize them later. It was almost like, OK, we're sick of your grief now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I watched that happen a few times locally <clears throat> and I realized I didn't want to that to happen to me. I needed to grieve, uh, but I didn't need to do it publicly and or, and be cannibalized, but I needed an outlet. So I decided to just take Facebook off my plate. I was like, I can't have this tool. So I was out of it for a while. So coming back to it was like, okay, I'm going to do this intentionally this time instead of just right. it being right. sort of, you know, impressed upon me by the, by the culture. So, yeah, it was a different experience. It still is a different experience, just like we were talking about this COVID uh, situation it's uh, changing it still, you know, the way it's used. So it okay. I'm, uh, I'm going to ramble on. I got to stop myself right here and ask <laughs> you to uh, tell the audience, because I have listeners everywhere, you know, I mean, they're local, but we have listeners all over the country. So if you could give folks the, uh, the nutshell version of who I'm talking to, that would be great. So we can move on to the, to the next stage. All right. Um, I'm Heather Regan White. I have been a reporter, with the exception of right after the birth of my second child, for the past 25 years for first the Southwest Daily News, which is Sulphur's hometown paper, and then the Lake Charles American Press, then back to the Southwest Daily News, and then we were purchased by the American Press. So, yeah, that's, that's it. So that's 20, my career. 25 years. Yes. Wow. That's yes. interesting. So what I, I would love to know what brought you to that place. Like, when did you know, okay, I want to be a reporter and a writer? It's weird because even as a young child, I loved watching the news. My friends made fun of me constantly because I was like, okay, it's time for the news. Be quiet. Um, one of my first crushes was Tom Brokaw. Yeah. Like I was, you know, yeah. I was, I was fascinated by the world. I, you know, I, I kept up. I remember when the, when the Americans were freed from Iran, my dad played Neil Diamond coming to America Wow. on the radio and we danced in the living room. You know, That's, I just, yeah. it's always been sort of a family thing watching the news. Um, but I, it never, it never cropped up. In my mind, as a potential career, I thought I would go to law school, or I, I was offered a music scholarship to Baylor, so I'd go sing, or you know, something like that. And 
But then when I got to McNeese, uh, one of my dear friends, Seth Hopkins, was the editor of the Contraband at the time, and he asked me to help him out. He needed somebody who could write. So I started writing and getting really interested in that, and it just so happened at the time. My friend's mother was dating the publisher of the Southwest Daily News, and they had a job opening. So she turned me on to that, and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with watching the press print papers, mm. the smell. I fell in love. We were typing. it When I started, we typed on these monstrosities called microtechs, and they were like made out of stone (laughs) (laughs) seemingly and they were so loud they clack so hard when you type and it was so satisfying to me and i'm really hard on keyboards because (laughs) of that indoctrination i mean when i first started we were hand typing in stocks from the dow jones they would fax us wow and we i mean it it has changed technology we were taking pictures with cameras and real film that had to be developed you know yeah i think i worked at the southwest daily news for like two days uh-huh. uh and it was photography it was during an, a, a time period this is a long time ago but i was kind of between jobs i really didn't know what i wanted to do i knew i, w- I had photography background and so I interviewed for a photography position and didn't ask enough questions as often a young person does. And uh, I think like the day I started, there was no photographer. There was nobody that there was like a, a hole in that, uh, that position. So by the time I got hired, there was almost like this desperate feeling. There was all this film that needed to be developed. And I think, and this is why I bring it up. I remember, taking the negatives and sliding them into this plastic sleeve that you'd stick yes, in the sir. side of the computer. Is yep. that right? I did it right. that way. Okay. I don't know what that was called. I don't but, either. Uh, I didn't stay there very long. I honest to, honest to God, truth was just, I got really stressed out because it was just too much. It was so backed up at that time. And I yeah. was just like, Whoa, hold on. I think I might be in over my head in this, uh, this position. Well. The, the news industry, like almost all of them, have been has been cut to the bone. I mean, we are understaffed, overworked, you know, just like I, it's been frustrating over the years to move from a locally owned paper and then be purchased again and again and again by these big firms in Chicago who don't know anything about small town news. Yeah. And they would come in and and try to start over from scratch, you know, and just as soon as we'd get used to that, somebody else would come in. It's it's been frustrating. That's very interesting. I I actually have so many questions listening to you talk about this because I guess I've never been on the inside of that, but I wonder what it's like being on the inside of a very hyper local paper like the Southwest Daily News, I mean, and, and have, having been there as long as you have, does it affect the way that you write? You know what I mean? Like, does your mind now immediately gear towards the local angle, the local interest? Is that like a. a um, it depends. Um, Throughout my career, I I was an editor for a very short time until some folks came in and said, oh, it's a girl and she's young. We need to change this, (laughs) which is fine. Actually, it's fine. I'm a far better Indian. I really am. I am not management (laughs) material. Never have been. But over the time that I've worked with the newspaper, I have at 
at the same time Dunvinton, Moss Bluff, Westlake, Sulphur. So my mind automatically slots information ah. based on geography. Yeah. And then working for the American press, it covered everything, yeah. you know, regionally to, to right, a large regionally. Degree, right? Yeah. But, but the thing that's remained consistent, regardless of which paper I'm writing for, or regardless of who my readers are, is I make it local and accessible. That's my goal. I, I don't want... I don't want to write in a way that presumes you know all the background already or you uh, read the 10 pieces before me. I, I want I want somebody to be able to pick up today's newspaper, read my article and feel like they've got a pretty good view of what's going on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like you've developed a voice in, in, over this time period where it's like, oh, this is specifically your style, like people recognize I, it? I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm. And it's not intentional, and it's not um, it's not an affect. I am I am a folksy person. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I just I am, and I amuse myself. I think things are funny, and I like to write with quirky words. And you know, yeah, I've definitely got my signature style. That's cool. I, I wondered about that. You know, I, I guess. Having this show, like I said, when we were talking previously, this is uh, loosely news. You know, I mean, I kind of right. use that umbrella term very loosely like because news is different depending on who you are and what your perspective is and what's going on in your life. And I, as I was thinking about talking to you, I thought, man, I could probably talk her head off because <laughs> there's so many angles to come at, come at this from. Like, you know, my first real engagement with you was – online. So I was going through that whole, who is this person? What's my perception of her? You know, you're trying to figure right. out who this person is without having talked to them. And then, so I read some of your work and I said, okay, well, there is definitely an authentic person here, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because that's, that's kind of the investigative mind, right? You go, well, they're saying this over here and they're up, they're putting this out here over here. These things don't seem to line up where's the intersection? And then when you do find the intersection, you go, Oh, this is sort of the hub. Now I get it. Now I mm -hmm. get like what maybe you're saying in this article. Yeah. I, I now can go pick up online, same tone, I guess, you know what I mean? Right, like in, in right. the, the behavior, it's interesting. I don't know. I find it yeah. pretty fascinating to get to know people that way. And as far as a, a signature voice, it, it, it is frustrating in an industry where depending on who your editor is, your voice might not make it through the cut. Uh, I've uh, had edit editors in the past that have tried to make every article sound as if it were written by the same person. It took any uh, of the, the the color, the nuance, the texture, yeah, you know, out of the article. And that's that's one thing that is great about Facebook. I mean, well, and also horrible. There are no editors. Oh yeah. It, it is interesting. I guess that an editor to a large degree can sometimes serve as like a brand manager too, right? I mean, they're trying to keep those voices on brand, which in one aspect, I mean, in, in the branding world, that's great. But in real life, that's not always great as for the consumer, you know? Right. And it, and it, it the perception of, of the function of the newspaper or media as a whole is so interesting. A lot of people whether they realize it or not, are under the impression that we are a public service. Oh, yeah, I can see that. We're, and, 
and that is actually that's how I operate. I don't think like a salesperson. Right. I don't I don't take into consideration marketing. That is not you know, that's not my wheelhouse and I don't let that affect how I write anything. Yeah. But a lot of people will question things and it's like, man, it's a business. We we have a bottom line. We have mouths to feed, you know. Yeah, I can see why people probably why that naturally happens because as a journalist you have constitutional protections you know you're you're specifically mentioned and so it's a little different perception to yeah. folks you know they're going oh well this is a public good you right. never think of it as um you don't it's strange yeah you don't want state controlled journalism no right no you need right. it to be free a free in industry that can prosper on its own so it needs these this this uh, special protections, so it can be that way. It's interesting, but there is also always a tension between the corporate overlords and the people making the sausage. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yeah, it, it's always there. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm helpless. Sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I have something I need to tell you about. You may or may not know this, but this podcast is produced in the city of Sulphur, Louisiana, one of the sister cities that make up Southwest Louisiana. All of my childhood memories are wrapped up in the city of Sulphur. It's my home, and it's been a good home for most of my life. There is a growing diversity of unique businesses, services, and events in Sulphur, each with a rich and colorful story to tell about their particular place in this little jewel on the west side of the Calcasieu River. My mission is to promote good news, to put a positive signal out in the world. That's why my team at Parker Brand Creative Services has created the new brand, Sulphur Today. Here's how it works. Post your Sulphur event, service, photos, videos, or information using the hashtag Sulphur Today. That's it. My team and I will scan and curate those posts through the social media platforms we've put in place. Before you make your post, just type hashtag, that's a pound sign for the folks that don't know what a hashtag is, and the words sulfur today with no space. My team at Parker Brand is monitoring this tag right now, and they're ready to create positive digital curb appeal for our city by sharing all the very best sulfur has to offer through the Sulfur Today social media pages. As the Sulfur Today project grows, we will be scheduling interviews and video sessions with businesses, events, and services so they can tell their story of Sulfur Today in a series of ongoing micro-documentaries. Look for the eye-catching Sulfur Today sign when you're out and about. And be ready, we may be stopping by to visit you for a photo op. And don't forget to stop by the Parker Brand Creative Services Studio in Sulphur to grab a Sulphur Today decal for your vehicle or business. We want people visiting our area to know that they can find all the wonderful things we have to offer with ease and be a part of our history by utilizing the Sulphur Today pages or by searching the Sulphur Today hashtag. Do you want to help us tell the story of Sulphur Today? Here's what I need you to do right now. Visit and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sulfur today. And be sure to share positive sulfur information and post often using the hashtag sulfur today. Now, back to find the good news. I mean, I work in branding. That's my, that's how we earn our income, right? So I get that. I mean, I'm, I guess to a large degree, I mean, I was writing 
I spent the bulk of my day writing today for brands, TV scripts and radio scripts. And, you know, I, my method is to write free form on brand free form and allow myself to go to the walls as far as I can. Mm -hmm. And then I have to almost like put a different hat on, you know, and go, okay, that's Oren. Now I got to go take all that stuff and find the pieces that are, yeah, that's a little off brand. That that maybe doesn't fit. That's my own personality in there. And right. then start peeling it back. So I guess self-editing through the eyes of different brands, it can be a little bit maddening, honestly, if I'm being truthful. You know, it's like, well, let me put this on today. Today I'm writing about chicken tenders, you know? So it's like, <laughs> what's what, putting yourself in a whole nother corporate mindset and reading right. your own freeform writing sometimes is, yeah, it's a little maddening. I imagine it's probably like the way you write, right? I mean, do you have that kind of method where you just let it all write out? You write it I, all out or? I, I do. I do. I What I do is often when I get back, I'll, I mean, I'm thinking about it all the way home in the mm. car. And I just sit down and everything that struck me as interesting or important, I, it, I put it up there like a skeleton, yeah. And then I just flesh it out, you yeah. know? Yeah. I would love to watch. I've never really sat and watched anyone write. I know that may seem strange to say it like that. Right. But the <laughs> way you strange. just described that is kind <laughs> of, yeah. Because, I mean, I think about the anything. I mean, if I'm, in, if I'm writing a, a, you know, a video series for some doctors, let's say, I have to go sit with each of those doctors and do a interview with them, you know, and it's not a, and yeah, I have like a core group of questions, but I like kind of like with the podcast, I like to let them kind of free flow, you know, talk mm-hmm. about whatever they want to. And so my method would be to record that conversation and then go back and take that into bite-sized chunks and almost watch those chunks have each chunk has its own gravity. Does, does that make sense? Like, yeah. Okay, they said this high idea. Well, they had 20 other things they said that were disconnected from that thought, but that gravity of that one thought starts to pull those things towards it, if that makes any sense. So, I mean, that's sort of my method. So hearing you say it's like a skeleton, I just wondered, my mind immediately started thinking about, wow, that'd be cool to just see, like, how that looks to you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's a lot of rewinding and going, what did you say? Oh. And then rewinding and going, ah, what is that word? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people chew when they talk. Mm. Not, not, nothing's in their mouth. They're just, that's interesting. They sort of chew their words. You know, they don't articulate well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I can see a lot of similarities. It's kind of like when I'm um, editing a video. You know, uh-huh. I, I used to only shoot with one camera. Now I shoot with two or three because I found I, I have to go in and create almost cohesive sentences. It's like writing, but with audio, if that makes any right. sense. Right. Uh, I, totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I when when you're writing, when people speak, it's completely different from when they they type. And sure. so I don't put words in people's mouth and I don't take care take away the context but you have to clean it up you can't put all the uhs and the backtracking (laughs) and all that you know i you know 
you know, when they get to the end and it's a complete thought, you just smush it all together and take all the space out. It's the yeah. same thing, I'm okay. sure. Okay. Yeah, it's very similar. I can see it being very similar. It sounds that way. I've never would have claimed to be a writer of any any sort. I, I do have a lot of ideas and I don't know any other way to express them except to try to write them. <laughs> so I try yeah. to I try to write and well, you know then make, you're a writer. You make mis I make mistakes and uh, I'm sure you know. gr grammatically, uh I don't know. I, I that's why I find writing interesting. Do you have anybody that you read that you're really fond of that inspired you, or that still inspires you? Uh, well, I just read something yesterday that blew me away, and I, I mean, there are several columnists that I find really, really good, and of course, right now it fails me. I, I can't think of a oh, single I get name. You. I know how that goes, <laughs> but. I read this thing. I think Jim Sarah posted it, and my aunt actually emailed it to me today, and I'm trying to pull it up. It's an Irish historian, and he wrote an editorial column for The Times about how the world views America right now. Interesting. And if I, if I could write like this man, I, I will lay down and pass away quite peacefully. His name is Fenton O'Toole. Oh, I'll have to look him up. I'll yeah, make a note right do. now. Probably you something do. I would enjoy. I I like those kinds of perspectives. That's something that's I'm very fond of is the outside view. Like the not well, the you know, outside of the bottle I'm in, so I can see something. See, and that's why I think that it it's important. I wish I wish more people here, Americans in general, would watch BBC mm -hmm. or read Reuters. Yeah. If you really want to see an unvarnished view of what's going on, because they don't have the local passions and they don't have the the connections and they don't have anything keeping them from expressing the truth, you know? Right. They, they're not invested in, in anything in the community around here. Yeah. So, you know. That's a hard position to take. I, I – I would love to pat myself on the back and say that I, I take that view, but I would say as often as I take that view, I take the opposite view too, because the reality of, for me, for all of us is I am living in a hyper local situation, you know? Right. So it's like, I want to believe that I can set, step above it and get the Hawks view, you know, and like look over everything and go, okay, I can see all the moving parts and maybe, maybe I can. And that's, that's comforting. But ultimately, I have to remember that I still have to put like waiters on and get down in the stuff. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like you live in two worlds. And I don't know that we do that often enough or collectively often enough. Like you said, well right. said, we're not taking that view. It's really hyper, hyper, hyper local, hypersensitive, almost uh, too much. We're not looking up enough almost, you know. It's it's like my husband said, for perspective is is quite something to deal with he uses another term which i'll refrain from but yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well what's how how difficult is that as a journalist i mean especially a local journalist i mean to step above um local politics even or hyper local sensitivities you know when you may have your own opinion about something i mean because you know it, I, i'm sure that when you're trying to be fair and balanced and Somewhat neutral to some degree, I imagine. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. Well, okay. 
and you know, I'm going to ramble here because it, there's a lot of pieces to, to to what you're talking about. In general, uh, partisan politics used to hardly at all, and now mostly not at all. It plays no part in local governing. It doesn't matter at the local level on yeah. the gravity drainage board or the city council right. what, what your political affiliation is. And most things you discuss are, are not going to be put into slots. Right. You know, this is a liberal resolution. This is a conservative resolution. So it, it's easy to keep political ideology out of it. Whether I agree or disagree with anything that's being said, I just write what's being said. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can go back and listen to the tape and read my article and say, yep, that's what they said. Right. I try really, really, really hard not to change the context, you know, the intended, what I, what I understand to be the intended meaning. Yeah. The only input I give outside of that pure distillation of what they said is background. And that's taken from an article that I wrote in the past based on what was said at the meeting. Right, so, right. So that's really easy. The, the It's actually, that's what I really wish people would understand. There is no agenda for most reporters. There's no agenda. We are just regurgitating stuff that we heard at a meeting you didn't have time to go to. Yeah, sure. I don't. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm not trying to, I don't know, you know. Yeah. No, it makes sense. You're um, an objective observer, an impartial right. entity and, that arrives and, to, to provide information to people. I mean, at its core, that's a, that's a noble cause, too. And I'm invested in my community. It's not like I don't care, but I think the best way I can serve it is – through the objectivity so yeah. that they can make their own decisions. And the thing about it is I still suffer under, maybe it's the delusion that with information, if people are armed with as much information as possible, that they'll make good decisions. You know, if they just see the information, they'll understand. And it doesn't always work like that. Yeah, You can, you can present a fact in 800 different ways and they will still point at it and say, no. <laughs> yeah. No, I went through something years ago. Uh, it was my first, I guess, foray into the political world when I, it was a branding project. And I was, it was long before I owned my own, or, you know, I was hanging my own shingles. I was working for somebody else, but I was real intimate with the candidate. And it was a local race too. And it really surprised me because it, it's just what you said. Uh, Partisan politics were being you being weaponized back then. Right. It, was, it was a long time ago, too. It was over a decade ago, but it was my first taste of it. And I thought, what is this? Because I knew the person personally. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they never talked about politics or partisan politics. They talked about the city all the time and the people and what's better, best for the city. Right politics really never came into it but when the campaigning started 
and the attacks started coming, I was like, wow, this there they were basically what what I saw was the weaponization of it was to paint someone and put them into a category that they really didn't belong in. But if you could get people to believe they were in that category, then you could sway votes. And I thought it was really a disservice to local people it is. when I watched it happen. And I, I got soured, honestly. It's intellectual laziness, too. It's it's taking the easy way out, you know, Yeah. just painting someone with broad strokes and attaching all of these ideas to this side and all these ideas to that side and yeah. not letting anybody live in that space in between. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's true because I do find that that's the space most people most end people up live, in. live in. Yeah. Yes, it and is. If you scratch on what somebody believes hard enough, you're going to find a divergent away from the, the main group they're in somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of went through something like that. Um, I would say when I, I was, I'm, I'm no longer, I'm in self-exile, but I was a uh, <laughs> a Catholic for a very short period of time. Uh-huh. But I entered it in phases, right? And what right. I came to realize was as I hit, I hit my divergent point. I was fine up to point A, then point B, point C, but I kept hearing a lot of pretty hardcore and kind of cruel, what I considered cruel, anti-gay uh agenda and my son's gay so i was like well here's a divergent point where right. i you we've scra- I've scratched at my own beliefs long enough and now i've found something that just literally it becomes an impasse for me i can't go any further because of this because i believe something else stronger and i find that when I talk to people and I'm, I'll bring that up as just an example that, yeah, that's with everybody. You will find that with everybody. If you pluck on enough strings, you're going to go, Oh, well, here you go. This is a place where you can't go any further without answering this question, you mm-hmm. know, and, and mm-hmm. what you care about, what you hyper personal care about begins to matter more than your herd than going with the herd or the group exactly. or whatever it may be. Well, I, I just, I don't know. It's the antithesis of what I believe the message to be. Of course, we get so caught up in the messenger that we forget the message. But 12 years of Catholic school, (laughs) when I got out and looked around and saw how Christianity was made manifest, I was just heartbroken because it was like God incorporated. It had transmogrified into this brand yeah you know what i mean No, i do understand i do totally and that that coupled with the absolute denial by the church of the horrible abuse that had been going on plus the the historical record of just not showing up during slavery or the holocaust i kind of was like hmm yeah you know Maybe maybe I need to step outside of this. Well, it is interesting. You know? Yeah, I get that because Tom Tom Trey and I were kind of talking about this in another. I guess not really talking about religion necessarily. We were talking about how it seems like in large groups we just can't seem to do the right thing. The larger mm-hmm. the group gets, the harder it is to navigate that thing into mm-hmm. any kind of canal or stream of good 
collectively, but but it's on these high in these little local smaller groups. He, he was using care help as an example. Care help can be super effective as a smaller entity in a local community and doing a job and all those people can get on board and work in solidarity. Even if they have differences, they uh-huh. can get over them and do the job. If care help were bigger and bigger and bigger, that would really probably you, you'd begin to see problems, I think, because uh-huh. of the it's hard to get that collective. I think we see this with churches, too, where. They get bigger and bigger. My buddy always says that. He said every church he's ever been to has been somebody that didn't started by somebody who had a problem with the church they were at before. And it just keeps breaking apart and making new little offshoots. I think as organizations get bigger and increase the degrees of separation, there's a lack of personal investment. There's not the core group that, you know, uh, cultivates accountability because Mm. you're further away from the center and so you start making some bad decisions, embezzlement, or whatever. You know what I'm That's just an example. No, yeah, it makes sense. But, yeah. Well, that's, that's all very interesting. I can get us, we're going to get way off, uh, way oh, off yeah. uh, in the weeds on that. But um, I am very curious as far as you, very getting back on, focused on just you in general. In, in your 25 years as a journalist, have there you know, you're, we're going through something historic right now, which you and I were talking about earlier, and how this is something that uh, we won't forget. You know, right. and the, the world's not going to forget. Have what kinds of things have you experienced like that? I mean, now granted, this is unique, but big things that you recall in your your history where you go, "Wow, well, these are the big ones." Oh uh, well, I mean, nine eleven was was the biggest the biggest incident of any scale, you Mm. know, but as far as things that affected me personally, I think, uh, the murder of Brandy Trahan Mm. was for me, that was, had the most effect on me beyond anything I've covered since or before it, that was, uh, that was a game changer to sit and share with her family the pain and the the nightmare and just, you know, and then try to honor them and her Mm. by, by writing about it. It's a, you know, because they were so open and just, I don't know. That's the most careful I think I've ever been. (laughs) Yeah. You know, man, that's, that's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, that's that's getting into a I don't know I mean in my language that's getting into sort of a sacred space right I mean exactly. that become, your job yes. gets elevated out of public service into I mean I know it sounds crazy but almost like medicine woman to some degree because you're having to open your heart and archive this and and be open to this family's pain and and everything that's going on at that moment that's uh I can yeah. see that being almost really more, like you said, personally impactful than these big, big things like nine 11 or, or what we're going through now. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know that every reporter has one of those stories, but that, that one was mine. Really? When did that yeah. happen? What year? Oh, don't ask me. I'm terrible with years. Um, were my children around? Yeah. 
I don't even remember, 2015, 16, maybe. Okay. So it was, really wasn't it wasn't over a decade ago then, huh? Was no, it? Okay. no. Yeah, so that's fairly recent, honestly. Yeah, I mean that's that's a hinge moment, as I think I've said on this show before. There's those those hinges in life where you can go, oh yeah, this right here, there was definitely someone put a peg in it and it bent mm-hmm. for me. You know, something whether you stayed on the same course, something changes, you know, and you know it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine you've probably just watched things change too, right? I mean, you've been a part of, of observing things change. You're observing things differently than the rest of us are. I would imagine. Yeah, but I I don't I don't recognize that. I don't compare it. You know, I I don't even I don't even pay attention to the process anymore. Wow. But um, the. The little city has has grown. Yeah. You know. What so I, this is interesting. What I mean if you had to describe cuz there's people again listening from all over the place. If you had to describe sulfur to somebody listening, what would you say to them? That is a very good question, Oren. Yeah, and I've never I, answered that I, question myself. Um, well, the people of Sulphur have a very strong sense of who they are and where they came from. And really are some of the most generous people I think I've ever met. Regardless of just the absolute vitriol you see on Facebook, yeah, this is a place where people come together to help each other. And yeah. it may sound cliche, but I don't care. It, it really is. Um, I think that people here have pride in their community. I think that even those who are misinformed come from a good place, even when they're wrong, you know, and standing up at city council meetings and yelling, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, it's a pretty place. Uh, we've, all of us have collectively agreed to spend money on things like ballparks and the Grove and, you know, I, I just... Right now, we're just hanging on by our fingernails to that small town vibe that I grew up with, yeah. and I'm 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 afraid it's going to spin out. You know. Sure. No, I have a similar fear too. I do. I don't. I don't want us to get too big for our riches, as they say. I've always worried because I grew up here, you know, and my memories of growing up here. And again, this is where I wonder: was it just my child's eyes, my child's mind? that saw things a different way. But yeah, some of that, what you're describing, I do feel like I'm, my kids aren't getting that same thing from living right. here. And it's right. not that, and I don't know if that's my, just my perception, but when I talk to my son, you know, who's at the age I was when I have those uh, nostalgic memories, he, he doesn't have the same feelings at all. <clears throat> you right. know? And so right. I wonder 
what's changed. And it made me wonder too, is it just exposure to information too? I mean, with access to the whole world, he's able to, you can compare places without having been to places, if that makes any sense. You know, you can go, well, how yeah. come they're able to do that in this community and we don't? I mean, we're supposed to be thriving. How come we don't have these things, too? That kind of thing. And so it just raises all kinds of questions. Is it just because we don't want them here? Is it because that's not a part of our culture? I don't know. I mean, I'm getting all off again in a big sort of dream, <laughs> dreamy space. But, I, you know, we have these types of talks and. Yeah, I do think it's interesting because a lot of the grievances that I find the young people have aren't grievances that I even had on my radar when I was their yeah. age, you know? Yeah. I felt like it was it was great to be able to just ride my bike. I felt safe. You uh -huh. know, it, it wasn't, I just didn't feel, I don't know if it's just cultural stress or the stress of the times, but I think kids, young people definitely feel something different. Than, than I think I, they do. I, I I agree. I think that there's a heightened sense of insecurity, physical, not not character wise. I think my children are far more aware of the dangers. Yeah, you know yeah. they're far more. They seem to grok. They completely understand that the world has its dark places in a way that I didn't at their age. And I, I hope that that's not because of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like, I do. I totally I, do. But, yeah, uh, they seem to be wiser and more perceptive and just more mature than I was. I, I was, I don't know, I was a child for longer than they seemed to be. But, I mean, if you think about what's gone on in their short little lifetimes. Yeah. School shootings, uh, a right. pandemic, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, my oldest boy, I don't know how old your children are. How, how old's your oldest? 13. My son is 13 and my daughter is 10. Okay. So I have one that's about to be 10 and my oldest, well, my oldest is an adult, but the one that's at home with me still, he's uh, 16, will be 17 soon. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's heading into adulthood, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it is interesting. I mean, and I do sense that, that, and it does make me a little sad. I'm not going to lie. I don't, yeah. I, I want to, I want, I don't want to leave them a worse world, you know? Ugh, I know. But unfortunately, it's, I, I think about this often since the day he was born, we've had a war conflict. Exactly. You know, I mean, he was born in 2003 and I thought, wow, you've never, we've never had, we haven't had real people. I mean, people can delude themselves into thinking we live in peacetime, but we don't live in peacetime. I mean, there is a conflict at this moment that exactly. our country is embroiled in, and it always has been this way since the day he was born. It just seems like it's just been in this sort of ramped up escalation, you yes. know, one right. thing after the other. And the occurrences, the frequency, the cascade is sort of... It is. It is. And I'm happy. I know it. I hate to pause the program, but I want to ask you something. Did you know that you can help me and my team at Parker Brand Creative Services grow the Find the Good News signal? For less than a fancy cup of coffee, you can become an Early Risers Club patron on our Patreon page. What's Patreon? Well, it's a way for creators to fund their projects by pooling support from those really passionate people that believe in what they're doing. Do you believe in what we're doing with Find the Good News? I hope you do. 
we believe that there's already enough negative news in the world, even right here at home, and that good people doing good works deserve a platform to speak from too. That's why we created Find the Good News, and we believe in that simple mission. Maybe you believe in it too. If you do believe in finding and sharing good news, then head over to our Patreon page right now or check out the link in the show description. For a commitment of $3.33 a month, you can join the Early Risers Club of Find the Good News Patreon supporters and get access to the B-Sides, a patrons-only podcast with the crew behind Find the Good News, Parker Brand Creative Services. Each time we level up, the Patreon rewards will get bigger. If you're tired of old news, bad news, and fake news, help support Find the Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. That's patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. Now, back to the episode. For me, I guess I remember, let's see, what was it? Um, Operation Desert Storm or Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And that was like, whoa, this is happening, right? And it was a big deal. That's the first time I sat down and wrote. I wrote in a journal about that war. Really? Because it was so new to me. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, my father was a Vietnam vet. So, of course, I had that that in the back of my head but yeah yeah and now it's just so commonplace yeah it's my, i don't know I, my father i don't know if your father's still living is your father still oh, yeah living? yeah so my, my father's not and he also is a vietnam vet and uh i wish he were here sometimes because i would love to well i'm sure he was here all the time but yeah. specifically to so i could know what he thinks about certain things i i always thought i understood what he thought you know, as a Vietnam vet and as a, a considered himself a patriot and, and really, you know, he was a red, white and blue guy. I mean, he was mm-hmm. I mean, I have his shirt in my my hope, my keepsake chest and uh, it's a it's an American flag. You know, I mean, he was that guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I do have these memories of him. And one was uh, I remember being a kid and I don't know if it was junior high or high school, but we were learning about the Vietnam War in history class. And our teacher told us in class, well, we didn't really win that war, that we, you know, left Vietnam. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, and I go, oh, because America claims to have never lost a war. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. My teacher said that we, we didn't win that war. And that lit my dad's fuse, like lit him up. He was really upset. I mean, I actually got in trouble. He got, I got a lecture about the Vietnam War that day. Many years later, we were driving. I mean, I was an adult by this time, but we were driving to Colorado and uh, we were listening to some show and they were talking about the Vietnam War and it went off and my dad was being super quiet. I mean, this is a decade later. And he says, you know, I don't know why we ever went over. I don't know why they sent us over there. I don't know why they did that to us. And it was just sort of a mumble under his breath, but his whole tone had changed. And I thought, yeah, I wasn't. I didn't have the awareness to dig, but I know something changed in that decade for him. And I would love now really to know what he thinks about the state of things. I really would, because I think he was even still like we all do. He was changing still, you know, Mm -hmm. it would be nice to get his perspective, I think, as an actual veteran who, you know, went through some things and suffered, you know, some uh, suffered, honestly, at the hands of his own country. 
that's the yeah. way I, that uh, the last things that I remember him saying was that we really weren't treated properly. And we also huh. were exposed to chemicals and things that were bad for us and did harm mm-hmm. to us, you know, and what kind of country does that to its, you know, to its soldiers. So yeah. I, there was just a perspective shift and I don't know. I, um, I say all that because it made me, uh, rethink the way I felt about that desert shield, desert storm situation. I remember thinking, Oh wow, America, you know, I was kind of like go troops. And I mean, right. I still feel, I still feel for troops. I just don't jump behind the bandwagon anymore. You know, when we're sending other people to. I, I Because, because no one's been able to adequately explain to us what exactly it is we're fighting for. There's this amorphous, freedom but yeah but these decisions are made by people in power that have invested you know interest in oil and you know military the industrial military complex or whatever it just it's just become a a money-making machine yeah what's another business yeah yeah, and human lives are fed to that machine. I mean, unfortunately, it's uh, usually – it's interesting. It kind of gets back into some of the politics, too. It's like we can convince people to join a team, you know, and, right. and fight for the team and not really dig any deeper than that, you know. It's funny because I was uh, – recently I had – got interested in another religion. I was like, you know, I'm curious about these people. I don't know a lot about them. It's sort of a, a spiritual blind spot. And so I started inquiring through the Baha'i faith. I don't know if you know anything about them. I don't. But I said, well, I'll reach out to them and uh, get some information. And so I did, and I started reading. But I've learned now my first question, and I, I it was interesting because I've never asked it before. But my first question this time was, is there an oath or anything that needs to be sworn for someone to, I wasn't thinking about becoming Baha'i, but I wanted to know, like if people who do, who claim on paper that they are part of this faith, do you have to take an oath? And so there was a little time passed. And so they contacted me back and they said, so what do you mean by an oath? I said, well, and I gave them some examples, you know, I was like, so like this, like something like a creed, is there a creed that Uh everyone clings to? And you know, that was a hard question for them to answer and i was like that's interestingly refreshing because they were like we don't exactly. really have a creed we don't have an oath i mean we believe these things I said, yeah but does somebody like have to say it right, <laughs> you know I mean? right like does somebody right. have to say it and then sign it and so mm-hmm. I, it got me thinking about because i was in the army for a little while and it got me thinking about some of the oaths that you take and things that you sign and i think you know, looking at my own frame of mind, I thought, man, I wonder if today, if I had to read those same words, how would I see those words, you know, differently than I was when I was 18 years old? Right. You know, I would have a lot more questions like what? Okay. So what does this mean right here? That's that's why they get you when you're young, sugar. You don't have any questions. (laughs) Right. That's right. Now, what does this mean? So (laughs) why am I doing this? I just want to understand who we're, who, who are we fighting? You know? I want to know some of those things. You're right. That amorphous freedom idea. It's real nebulous. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've kind Mm -hmm. of stopped saying things like uh, whenever I I hear that and God, man, I I know I'm just going to get so much heat for this. I I, I know. I I just, (laughs) 
I just, you know, whatever. I don't know what else to do. I feel like it's even more patriotic sometimes to question it. Yeah. And uh, and when I, I hear, you know, they're over there fighting for your freedom. That sentence alone, which I've heard so many times, I'm sure you have too. I go, okay, we need to analyze this. What do you mean by that? We, we owe it to the men and women we send over there to analyze that. Right. I want to know why that young guy or that young gal is potentially going to be behind the gun or putting themselves in harm's way. I want to know whose freedom they're fighting for. I want to know what that means. I really do. Exactly. I mean, I want a good explanation, not this generalized red, white, and blue fireworks stuff. You know, I really want to know, like, are we getting down to the core of what it means to be free? You know, because I, I've my, in my thinking, historically, we really have only had soldiers fight for our freedom in the original revolution. Right. That's the way I've all, I've sort of seen it. I was like, so that was about having a free country. And as far as getting involved with someone else's cause, I use World War II as the benchmark. There you go. Yeah. Are we going to save a bunch of people from an evil man, you know? Well, and, and, you know, right. And Heather, uh, you know, even that, that's sometimes when I just go, God, I wish I could, I, I, I don't really wish that I could unknow. But then when you discover a piece of history and you go, man, why in the world are we not taught this? And then you realize the reason is because if we were taught things, certain pieces of history, there would be so much dissension in the ranks then yeah. there'd be nothing to hold us together. But I mean, when you look at the fact that we were profiting off of England and Germany during World War II at the same time, and you know, we were selling things to both sides. Uh-huh. It wasn't until we got embroiled in it, you know, after Pearl Harbor, then we go, Oh, it's we've picked a side, but we were happy to profit off of Germany. Yeah. Up until that point, you know? Yeah, I I, I do I do think that our uh that pre our involvement, we were kind of some jackasses, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, like, sure. and even should have been there sooner. And even post, I mean, you know, we, we brought, we, we know this is true. I mean, we brought Nazi scientists over to our country. I mean, you know, help yeah. hide some of them. And, you know, those are the types of things. And I'm not trying to say we live in a horrible place. I mean, our, and the whole country is horrible. But there's definitely been – the government's made some terrible decisions. And some pretty insidious things have been done. You, you know, know I, I refuse, though, to be ashamed or let someone chastise me for questioning my country. I've written this before. If you – I love my children, and because of that, I correct their behavior. Sure. I want them to be better. I want them to do better. In the same way, I love my country, and I want it to be better and do better. And that is not unpatriotic. No. I And I, I get really tired of being branded that way. I when I When I post an article about another country doing something in a way I think we could emulate and, you know, and, and hear people, well, if you like it so much, why don't you move there? I'm like, <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, these people, they act like a jealous girlfriend, like, you know, 
Why yeah. are you looking at Why are you looking at them? Right. <laughs> it's right. Just weird. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you on that. I think, I mean, I, I look to Gandhi all the time when I want an example of what a patriot looks like. I really do. I mean, and you're talking about, you can take that model and, you know, Martin Luther King obviously took that model and brought it here and tried to apply it. And I think Martin Luther King is a great patriot for yeah. breaking a system or trying to fix the system. It's a great example of calling out a wrong. And saying, uh -huh. no, we can be better, you know? And I mean, Gandhi, to me, I think it's exactly what he did in India. He's like, oh, no, I'm absolutely calling out this broken, you know, system that we're in. And then even whenever they overthrew the ones that were the oppressors, even further still trying to repair the damage between uh, Hindus and Muslims and saying, okay, we still got further to go. Uh -huh. You know, and I, and I think that that's a true patriot. I really do. So, yeah, this just, hey, well, like you said, if you love it, if you don't love it, get out of here. I don't know. I don't agree with that. I think staying and trying to fix it and make it better is a, a more noble act. I really do. Yeah. 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 Well, that's one of the things I appreciate about you, especially just being connected to you online. You are an incredible information source. Anybody that listens to this i hope that they would if, if they don't friend you at least follow you because you do post a steady stream of useful information and, and a broad scope of it too yeah well i appreciate that i and i really i try so desperately i don't i want to talk about policy not personalities i mm. don't i don't i'm not gonna you know lob insults at politicians that doesn't serve anyone right I, you know <sighs> it oh, seems like in your position though that can be just almost overwhelming huh like it's so much you're you're because you're you're someone that's a content creator right mm, mm -hmm. you know so you have all this stuff and at any point that's got to be floating around in the soup of your all your thoughts whenever you're trying to do your job honestly and and objectively right uh-huh yeah i i just lost my thought no I'm, I'm watching you and i could tell like your body language though it was like yeah it's almost that feeling we all get where it's like yeah it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like yeah man well it's heavy times it's heavy times right now. I mean, I I want to believe I say this often and I don't know it maybe it sounds negative, but I'm like I I say things like I want to hope. I want right. to believe. I want to try. I want to do better. I want and, and those usually refer to human beings. I want to believe that we're better than we're showing ourselves to be. And in small pieces, I can see that collectively. I'm not so sure I have that same right. feeling, you know? Right. And it does I make just, me a little down sometimes, truthfully. I there, I don't even remember who wrote it. It was in a really well-written post several years ago, but this one line just keeps recurring to me. I don't know how to convince you that you need to care about other people. Yeah. 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 How do you explain that? How do you under how do you get people to understand that no, it is mutually beneficial and if you if you are not altruistic, think of it as transactional. 
it benefits us all if we're all healthy. It benefits us all if we all have money to spend. You know, how do I convince you that you are not an island? (laughs) Right. You know, we are we are all interconnected. Yeah, no, and I know, I know how do that's a great way to say it. How do I convince you of this? I mean, look, I mean, we can draw this like really right down to today because I were not too long before you and I were talking, I had, was online, you know, connecting with folks and having conversations. And some of the people in my, in our community were saying things like, Oh yeah, I'm still, there's still people out there, you know, fighting over whether we should wear masks or not. And so I, I, I take that and I go, why are we still fighting about that? Isn't that the right thing to do right now? Like to help. It's about helping others. Right. You know, right. and also it helps me if they're not mm-hmm. sick, that helps me. Because like, okay, my son has got a driver's permit, so he's been driving with us. Well, every time he does, he's still learning. So I'll say things like, hey, you have to be extra careful right now because you don't need an accident. Because an accident could send someone to the hospital, and we know right now we don't need to be clogging up the hospitals. That's literally what we say to him. Right. I, and to me, that's not about just protecting him. It's about other people. I go, hey, be careful. Extra. Do mm-hmm. a little extra because there's something right. going on and that could affect you could take away resources from somebody else who may need them. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying, hey, I'm going to wear a mask because it, I may be an asymptomatic carrier and could give it to others. I don't see what the problem is, but I find that people have a problem. They, they've equated that with something about freedom. And I'm like, that, that's, uh-huh. there's, there's this weird mishmash or it, it's a connection that they're making that I'm not seeing, you know? It's well, because they have been receiving a signal. <laughs> oh, you talk yeah. about signals and that is a signal they've been receiving from the people they follow and surround themselves with. And it, it's intentional. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it's designed to create division. It is. Yeah. No, it's unfortunate. It really is. I mean, I don't understand why we have to turn this into a political issue. Right. It literally is just a health issue. Yeah. You know? And if you tell me that something little I can do may potentially save other people's lives, I'm going to do it. And, you know, reading it, I was thinking to myself, what do these people do when the teacher sends home a note that says, please don't send peanut products because we have an allergic child? Do they just go, well, that's against my constitutional right. I like peanuts. Right. Like, what? Yeah. I mean, it's the same premise. Yeah, it is. It's funny the things that we we probably all thought of other comparisons. Like, these are some of the ones that, for me, just really hit. I love to go hiking and camping and stuff. And I've spent a lot of time in Kasachi Forest. And so having spent so many years, you always, I always would look, you know, at the burn level, you know, like they'll right. give you the level, say, hey, today's not a good day to start a fire because of mm-hmm. the conditions. That's kind of how I feel about wearing masks and stuff. And, and right. other things, I just go, oh, this is the level. It's just, an, it's the code, it's the color that's right. out today. 
and maybe it's going to be out for a few months or maybe even a year, whatever that is, but that's the level we're at. So I need to do the right thing. That's all it feels like. I mean, I don't feel like that sign in the forest telling me not to light a fire is stomping on my freedom. Exactly. It's, exactly. it's strange though, that this has been politicized, you know, nobody's it politicizing is. these other things. I mean, I don't go out in my yard and burn anything in my fire pit when it's windy. They don't need to give me a burn ban to tell me to not to do that. Right. You know, Right. but I, you know, I don't know. It's uh it's a, it's a weird common sense that seems to be missing. Well, it's a lack of responsibility. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Just, but it's like you said earlier, you know, you think the answer is, well, if I give you the information, right. you know, it gets back exactly. to what you maybe, said. Maybe it's just that they don't understand. Right. Let me write it down. Yeah. And I will keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not going to stop. Right, right. <sighs> yeah, weird times. Weird, weird times. I don't know. It is nice to find allies, though. That's one of the things that I've tried to really do is, uh, and I know maybe that's sort of living in a, uh, what do they call it, echo chamber. <laughs> Everybody says, don't you want to be in an echo chamber? <sighs> But uh-huh. I'm finding there's some comfort there these days when I start to see too many signals that are just really coming at you or coming at me or whatever, or even coming after allies. I go, I hate to say it maybe like this, but almost like a little bit of a war mindset. It's like, okay, I got to kind of stick with my allies right now because they're the voices that I want to hear. They're the voices I, that are saying things that I really believe in. You know, I got to back I them up. I don't think to broaden your perspective and to be a balanced person and to live outside the echo chamber means that you have to accept hate, you know? Yeah. I don't think that that is, that is a legitimate argument that I have to, uh, humor, you know, um, we can talk about the policy and we can talk about, you know, your problems with it. But when you start attacking me personally, yeah, or my friends, then the discussion is over. And it's not because I'm a snowflake. It's because I've decided to live my life without the negativity. You know, that that's your issue and you can keep it. Yeah. I don't want it. Have you ever, I mean, you know, we're t- kind of talking about a little bit of social media here. Really, a lot of it is about that. But have you ever received any kind of blowback from anything you've written? dumb question how many no no no, not dumb um i was called all sorts of horrible things the blowback i receive is always for my my personal columns i i I write Uh, columns every now and then uh, under the header voices in my head um and this one was about a public smoking ban yeah and i just I don't know. I just suggested that nobody has a right to potentially give someone else cancer. I I thought that was reasonable. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I enjoy a cigarette, but I'm not going to blow it in anyone's face and I'm not going to do it in a closed environment. And so I was called all sorts of horrible names by people. Really? And it just blew me away. Like, Really? Wow. This this is upsetting you. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> it's interesting because there's some parallels to be drawn to the the whole way we treat this COVID-19 and some of our unwillingness to, to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's very similar. It's like people get angry when you ask them to care about other people sometimes in, in these, when, especially when it affects their, their hyper personal, you know, vices, right. man, you start messing with people's vices and, and the claws come out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the more stressful the time, the sharper the claws. Mm, oh, that's a good way to say it. Hmm, I like that. Yeah, that's interesting. So that that's one of the things that uh, does it. Most of the blowback come from the personal column. I mean, because it's an opinion. You think? Well, I, I did receive some for uh, my coverage of a local teacher who got in some legal trouble with young women. Oh, okay. And I. I had people accusing me of making stuff up because it was a slow news day. Oh, probably people who have allegiances to, you know, either an entity or an individual. They, they just go, they don't want to believe it. But I mean, you know, I live here and I'm all sleep over having to write that because I know that there's a wife and children and friends and, this is going to hurt them. I, yeah. That that thought was utmost in my mind as I I dealt with the information. It's that it took no pleasure in it. Certainly would never fabricate something. I, again, it, it's the, the attitude right now toward media, and I mean, I realize that they're talking about large media organizations, not your hometown paper, but just in general. I get you know defensive on their behalf it's it's sure. absurd to believe that we are you know all part of the the borg or you know just right. like yes we are all in constant con- contact with each other and we have set in motion a plan to you know focus all of our energy and time and use up all of our you know, our currency with the public just to go after the man who's currently the president of the United States. Right. That, you know, I yeah. mean, logistically, it's absurd. If you just think about it, just, yeah. uh, oh, it's so bizarre. Yeah, I, I agree. I watched a, a nice uh, interview. Well, no, it was an interview, but it was one of the White House reporters. And they were asking him, why do they tolerate being talked to the way they're talked to? And he, he had an answer very similar to what you've said many times throughout this conversation was it says, well, we're that doesn't bother us. That's what he said. Basically, he said, it doesn't bother me to be talked to or to call names or the tone. He said, you know, because I'm not there for that reason. I'm there to ask the questions that the American public want asked to ask questions that nobody's asking mm-hmm. uh, and to gather information and to come back. You know, all those attacks, he said, are that's irrelevant. He said, that's not what I'm there to report on. He said, you're not going to find that in any of the reports. Right. You know, you don't hear, uh, you know, Leader X called us, uh, you know, fake news or nasty people or any of those types of things. Right. And I was like, that's interesting. You know, and his demeanor was calm and it was just sort of matter of fact. It's like, that's sort of the, it's what you have to expect as a journalist and as a reporter. And I was like, yeah, it's interesting. You know, but I think people forget that they're having to take heat too, you know, that they're having yeah. to be, to deal with that and try to do a service yeah. for people and under those circumstances. 
but we've got we've got decades and decades of history to back us up. We we have examples of what's news and what's not. Yeah. And those those insults hurled at reporters are not news, so we don't have to worry about them. Yeah. It's a nice little suit of armor, you know, like <laughs> right. at, at council meetings there will there will be people who grandstand and, you know, want to extend their 15 minutes in in the spotlight and it's just nice to understand that that's not news and my articles are not vehicles for your you know your retribution yeah <laughs> or your personal vendetta or or whatever sure. just the facts man just the facts yeah see that's <laughs> why this show that's why it's not news i mean it's called find the good news but it's not news i mean in reality i wondered about that from your perspective Things like this, like a podcast that's uh, just some citizen put together or these mm-hmm. Facebook groups that call themselves, you know, the real news or the Calcasieu news or whatever various. Form oh, that we takes. could talk about that forever. What does that feel like as a, a serious journalist to see that kind of stuff that's just almost pot stirring? I mean, it's, it may have nuggets of real, valid, useful information in there, but then it's surrounded by lots of well, opinion. That's where I've always been attacked. So really, yeah, that's where the attacks come from. And for a time, one of those stations was stations. That's why that's what they're called. Okay. Was using my news content and passing it off as theirs. Really? That's interesting. Interesting. Okay. I I mean, (laughs) odd. It's just, again, it's another, it's another manifestation of the the illness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> of humanity right now. And I, so I don't, I don't know. I, if you if you just want to be depressed, read the comment section of anything. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you're God, right. Why are people so angry? Yeah. Why are they so filled with hate? I know. I. Uh... <sighs> I someone tagged me in a comment that they made, and I, I usually go look to see what it is. And they were commenting on a uh, in a comment section of a local news source that I don't follow because of their comment section. I right. never go in there, and I accidentally went in there last night because of that. And I went, "Oh my gosh!" And I mean, I did. I I did, you know, the thing I swear I'm never going to do. And I followed that comment thread, and I was there probably eight minutes, nine minutes, not, not a full ten, because I re- looked at my watch and I was like, "Okay, I got to get out of here because yeah. this is all just negative on top of negative." And how mean can we be? And trying to exactly. one up each other in our, you know, comical cruelty. It was just a. Uh, and what I, value? I, yeah, there's I don't no know. value. I don't know. Well, that translates out into the real world, too. I have experienced that uh, as well, that there are people that 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 people do speak that way. It used to be that they would do it behind the keyboard or the anonymity of that. And they go, this is just some personality trait I can put out there and and feed it a little bit or, or scratch that itch that I have to say mean things. But I have seen in the last decade you know people are now just starting to go oh i can say it there i'll say it out in the public too we just live in this Mm -hmm. constant barrage of nasty sound Uh, bites well yes and there's some sort of 
strange pride associated with saying what you think, <laughs> you know, there, and, and, sure. <laughs> and not, and not knowing anything. <laughs> what do you like, mean by that? What do you mean by that? Not well, knowing just, anything. There's there. It seems, it seems there's, there's some connection somehow between being well-read or seeking information or knowledge and somehow being an elitist, like, mm, I, like, I got you know you. what I mean? Yeah. It's like willful like, ignorance. It's like, Oh, well you it, read books. Yeah. That kind of right. thing. Yeah. And I, don't, <laughs> I don't get it. Cause to me, if you, if you're not curious, what, what's going on every day for you? <laughs> Where, what's, what's your headspace like? If, if things don't strike you as interesting, if you're not every day stumbling upon something you didn't know before and going, well, that's neat, you know? Yeah, that's interesting what you're saying there, because I find, and I know it sounds so negative probably, but I do find that those types of, those types of people that aren't curious are almost in a trap. They're, they're in a cycle that they're just fine to be in. And it, and some, and it can hurt people and it just sort of stays the same and it, and it really just sort of spins and spins and spins. It never goes anywhere. No new information comes in. No, no information goes out. It just stays the same. And anytime something new comes along, it's like, well, that's stupid, you know, and it's demonized. It's like, why well, we want to do that? I don't know where I'm going with that, no. <laughs> but I, I experienced that and then. I'm like, okay, but you're the same individuals that tout freedom and and rights and all this stuff. And I'm like, but you're not really free. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I don't yeah. know if I express that idea. You're you're trapped in you're actually trapped in something and you don't even know it. Yeah. But you're the same one that's bullhorning freedom and freedom and, and painting everything red, white, and blue. And, you know, God bless the USA and all this, this sort of faux patriotism. But you're trapped. You're, you're, you're in a trap. You're in a cycle that you're not getting out of. And I want to, like, reach in there sometimes and go, just stick a, you know, you stick a, a stick in a bicycle Hick wheel and go, just hiccup for a minute and just see right. there's a whole world out here. Right, right. And, and, yeah. and you know, get out of that for a minute. Yeah, there, there, there's a level of fear. There, it seems they feel threatened by new information or new experiences. And that way leads to insanity because the only sure. constant is change. So, right. you know. And, you know, that's a, that's a great, that's a platform or fertile ground for fascism to bloom, that type of space. Because wanting, uh, wanting the security of the same. That's right. A fascist loves that because that's when you start burning books and you start banning information. And that's when countries have their own Internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, I mean, right. it's that that bubble of uh, of the same. And a fascist loves that. I mean, that's just great minds that are accustomed to that and they'll feed into that and play on that stuff. I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, we de I definitely see that kind of thing happening here. I mean, we are in a like ripe, ripe for that right now. Yeah. And if somebody had fascist huh. tendencies, they they would just love the situation. It's perfect. Well, it's almost like 
everything has been uh, uh, twisted and contorted and I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Ideas of constitutionality, there's like, now it's it's the anti-constitution, <laughs> like the <laughs> evil version. Yeah. Like it's, it's being, the structure is being used to support bad buildings yeah 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 yeah. no totally get it there's it's strange the loopholes i'm learning like now i used to never do this when i was younger and i wish i had but now whenever i hear the president's going to have a new power because of a declaration i go online i download the pdf and i'll read it i'm like okay i want to read and and start start highlighting stuff i'm like Uh okay tucked inside of here is like three war, three sentences or whatever that is that if they can pull that out and the foundation for corruption uh-huh. is right here and they they see that too. Oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah. and we're just blow over and go. Well, hey, they have the right. They're the they're the authority. And you go, have you read that? I mean, that's what I want to go. Did you stop and go read that? Really, you know, really read that. I, I know I poison my own mind sometimes. I watch the movie. Um, I think it was yeah, it's called vice have you seen that movie no wonderful movie by the way it's about dick cheney it's incredible but oh I, yeah yeah i mean I, I know what you're talking about now okay i uh someone told me to watch it and i said okay i'm gonna check it out and i watched it and yeah it's a movie i mean obviously you know but the guys who made the movie at the beginning of it there's a disclaimer and it said <laughs> Some of this may be true. A lot of it's probably not because so much of this information we couldn't access. So we had to make Mm -hmm. some of this up. And it fed right into the whole film. And I was like, that whole movie really should terrify anybody in this country. It really should terrify us because that's the whole game in that film is that Dick Cheney was looking for those little lines those little, little laws that they could manipulate and pull out and change the language, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting. And I think I think that that's the kind of thing uh, right now as Americans, we have to start paying more attention to that and quit listening to all that bullhorn stuff and like really dig in there and go, OK, there's small things, small details in here. There's really all this loopholes designed that we've been told, like you said, it's the opposite. It's like the anti-constitution. All this stuff was designed to supposedly protect us, but built within the protection is the very thing that sort of overturns the protection. Yeah, there's a tripwire in each of them. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a, a clause just in case. Uh-huh. You know, we want people to feel like they're have told, like they free, but just in case they can't handle their freedom, well, we've got a tripwire, like you said, in there. to We... We didn't – our founders just apparently could not imagine the culmination of character traits that we found ourselves living under. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I just – I think it would – they just – they none of them were like that, so they couldn't imagine it. And the way people like that can't imagine that other people – have altruistic motives you know yeah yeah it's interesting like, people do they draw these lines all the time to hitler i know that that people bring that up all the time they're like oh it's like hitler it's like hitler i never was a big fan of that because i 
I think immediately people go, oh, Hitler, and they think of the Holocaust, right? I mean, that's the right. first thing they put in their mind. And I, I go, no, he, you got to look at the— He was kicking around before that. That's right, the politics of all <laughs> yeah. that, the buildup. And, right. and the truth of the matter is, I'm mean, sure you know, I mean, it's when you look at that stuff, the politics, the maneuvering, mm-hmm. the parties, uh, you know, that stuff is eerily similar to mm-hmm. what we're seeing in our country right now. Well, I find very, very similar. You and you and my husband agree. He, uh, you know, like most men your age, World War Two and Hitler, for some reason, becomes <laughs> becomes a fascinating, you know, yeah. for some reason. I don't know why middle aged men get into World War Two at this age. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange, but it happens. Well, I had I knew, um, for me, it was always like there had to be something else to it, because I remember in high school. Uh, my history teacher, Mr. Sharp, had showed us some old footage, and that was my first time seeing a concentration camp. And I was, it was, dis- it disturbed me as a young person. It really, really, it stuck. And I, I never looked beyond that until, you know, in the last several years, I was like, there's so much more to Hitler than just this, this, yes, there's this evil thing, but the politics, I never cared. Uh-huh. All that maneuvering and stuff. And I was like, this is some, subtle things and look what happened i mean look where it led and man there's just so many strange it's, lines there can be it's drawn. like the frog in the pot yeah you know? they, it's almost like they didn't yeah they didn't know what was happening it was just happening right in front of them right right and each little strange thing became the new norm yeah and just scary I, yeah it is it yeah. is well, that's that. That gets back to why I contacted you. I think honestly, I I, I think and the World War Two elements of our conversation, even using the word allies, it's it's kind of uh, interesting. I didn't really think of it that way before, but I really do consider you an ally. And when I say that word, that's sort of become a real strong term of endearment for me lately. I used to never use that word. It was always my friends or right, my right. acquaintances or my family. I never said ally, but I've really been meditating on what that means to me when I say the word ally. And it, it it's, it's something different. It means that, I don't know. I, I sense that there's just a camaraderie there right? outside of friendship. There's something there that's binding people together and they're just acting like beacons in my opinion. That's what I, I see you as. And when I'm, you know, when I see something come through from you through your signal, I, I stop, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, because I think, Hey, this is probably of high value and it's, it's, it's a, a signal from my ally one of my allies. And I think that's something maybe more people should start doing if they're not already doing that is like, you know, sharing up their allies. Who are they? Well, I think, I think that we, you know, subconsciously are sensing the foundations are crumbling. Uh, There's what, there was a book by Stephen King and Peter Straub. I forgot the name of it, but they use the term slippage. Mm. There's slippage. There are dark spaces between, you know, there are tears in the fabric. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's a, a you know, a sense that we're going to need to hunker down. Yeah, yeah. You need to start. I, I do. I feel that sense, too, that we need to start knowing 
who you can look to right. you know, for reason and logic and kindness and, and who's going to lubricate the way for useful information. Who's going to help cut through the noise because uh, it's going to, it's, it's not like that now. I mean, I, I find it every time I get online. I mean, I have to sift through now it's getting better because I'm a pretty aggressive blocker. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I mean, I, I I would have never believed that that would be so easy for me to do. But now I just go, oh, this is just like a dial. I have to turn this dial off. I can't hear. I can't hear Heather if, you know, this one's over here sending this signal in, you know, screwing up my my perspective. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. No, I feel you. I feel you. I, I've unfollowed a lot of people lately. You're not you're not adding anything of value to the conversation as a whole. You know, you just just make it really cacophonous noise. Just. Oh yes, what a lovely word too. <laughs> it's true. That's a, it's a great way to describe it. It's like a, a it's this mishmash of noise. There's mm-hmm. no no rhyme or rhythm to it. There's no beauty to it. It's, it's ugly to a large it is. degree. It is. It is ugly. Yeah. Well, I just got to tell you, I appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time. I hope you've enjoyed talking. Uh, I have. We've oh, been talking for an this hour and a half. This has been so nice. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. No, I was really, really happy you reached out. I think this was great. I, I'm i sort of an introvert. I'm not very social. Really? And I see people like you. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I feel safe. <laughs> I can talk to this person. You know, I understand the feeling because I'm actually not social either. I don't like to, um, I, I'm coming to understand why after all these years that might be the case, but yeah, I, I do prefer an intimate setting, you know, one-on-one mm-hmm. with some good yeah. meat on the bone. I'm not Small talk isn't really... Yeah, small talk. No, I'm not wasting my time. I think a lot of people find me off-putting because of that. Because I'm sure. kind of like, okay, 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 okay. Let's let's talk. Because yeah. we've got a finite amount of time. And we have important things to discuss. Yes. <laughs> you know? No, I get that. Totally. I totally get that. And I love... I love um free form conversations too, where you can just kind of flow and go into different avenues and, and discover new things, you know, about people and, mm-hmm. and have them stimulate thoughts. I mean, you've said several things that I'm going to be thinking about, you know, that's what I love about doing this show. I got to be honest. I mean, it's so great for me because I get to have the conversation and then I get to go back and I listen to it in the editing. And it's so nice. Cause I'll, I'll listen almost twice as hard to what you're saying, if that makes any sense. Like I heard everything yeah. you talked about, but it's like I get to go back in and then and then to listen to it again. I usually listen a third time just after it's put out just to kind of experience it as the audience would experience it. So, yeah, it's a real good, ex- good learning experience for me in the layers of uh, meaning, because I, I think in conversation so often I can I don't rem- I might remember pieces or I'll reform a conversation to my liking. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I'm often left with just an impression. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah. the impression, the way, well, like Tony Morrison said, was it Tony or Maya Angelou? Um, I don't know. People don't remember what you said and what you did. They remember how you made them feel. Oh yeah. Okay. I like that. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting feeling. You know, that's something that I value highly. I also value logic, but feeling 
is something that's become almost a dirty word now too, you know, like, Oh, well, if you it, feel things, you're a that's snowflake. Just snowflake. Right. <laughs> and I gotta be honest, I would love to live in a world of, uh, where people feel more and trust their feelings more. I mean, I've had better experiences through that. It, it is, it is difficult in this world. If you are a sensitive person, you know, yeah, you get, it's easy to get overstimulated and overwhelmed. And I think that's why people like us, prefer intimate settings because we can't turn the receptors off. Right. That's <laughs> right. Know? I struggle with that. I, I do. Yeah. It, it's actually emotionally. It is draining. Draining. And yeah. Yeah. I can't stop other people's signal. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. I pick it up and I, I, I try to I equate it to walking through like grass full of cuckleburrs, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't even know till you get in your house and you look down and you got 500 burrs in your socks you know and it's like oh that's right. how my psyche gets like that when i'm uh-huh. into around too many people yeah and i'm happy i know this episode's fishing for goodies fishbowl sponsor is brimstone museum and henning cultural center in sulfur louisiana i don't know what you look for when you travel but one of the things i look for when i'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city i'm traveling to I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. So look, this is, I'm going to show it to you. I know if you've listened to the show, you know about the fishbowl, right? Do you know about the fishbowl? I watch all the way to the oh, end. Oh boy. Okay, well this is the last part of the show. All right. And so this is the fishbowl, and we call this section Fishing for Goodies. Now, used to, people would come in the studio, and they would stick mm-hmm. their hand in here and draw three questions. And okay. I'm going to just act as your proxy and draw three questions real quick. All right. And then we'll just talk about them briefly, or however long you want to. We'll see what's in here. Okay, and there's like 400 questions in here, so you never know what you're going to get. 
All right, let's see what we got here. Oh, wow, this is a good question. Man, it's so great, too. It kind of fits right into your uh, profession. Assuming your life is a story and you're the author, what does your happy ending look like? It looks like where I am now. Wow. That's great, actually. You know, I, 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 I try really, really hard to live in a constant state of gratitude. And again, that sounds cliche, but I don't care. It's true. I am so lucky. If nothing changed, if, if I'd never accomplished anything, if, you know, I, this, this is my happy place. This is my happy ending. This is fine. That is wonderful. You know, I really is. I, I was, I had no idea what you were going to say, but how comforting that is. Even with the current state of the way everything is, it's like, if this is, well, the, this is a good space. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? I like, feel almost, almost guilty that, you know, it, but that that's how it is. And I have everything I could possibly want or need within reach right here. You know? Yeah. There's something to be said for ending the striving mm-hmm. after something, some new, cha- some change or some new state. And to right. just be able to say, it reminds me of this, uh, well, it's kind of reminds me of the old, it's cliche too, but the old, you know, before enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water, after enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water, you know, <laughs> it, it, it does make me think of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's this whole, there's a Zen uh, painting or a cone, I can't remember which it is, but it, it talks about this uh, person that's trying to, he, he's working in the fish market, you know, and he, and he just hates it there. You know, the smell of the fish and the chopping of the fish and the carrying of the fish and the, you know, the whole, the whole thing of the fish market was just miserable. So he, you know, becomes a Buddhist monk and he's going to become enlightened, you know, and he spends his whole life doing that. And he does, he becomes enlightened and he goes up to the mountain. And once he becomes enlightened, he realizes that uh, he needs to just come down to the fish market. Yeah. And because there was nothing else to be had. So he returns to the fish market and it was like all the things that uh, nothing changed about the fish market. Right. You know, he had changed. changed. Yeah. And right. the fish market was just fine. Right. And I think it kind of makes me think of what you're, uh, what you said. I like that. Yeah. It's a good answer. Enlightened answer. Oh, this is another good question for you. Okay. If you could be instantly, hang on. That's not what it says. I'm reading it wrong. Yeesh. If you could instantly be an expert in a subject, what would it be? Ooh. Hmm. In a subject. Forensics. Forensics. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Why that? I, I, I don't know. There's something really, uh, satisfying to me about piecing things together and getting answers, yeah, you know, I like, can see that. 
I, I like puzzles. Do you? I mean, a- actual puzzles. Oh, but, actual, yeah, like, okay, yeah. Actual puzzles and games that require that sort of methodology. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I thought for a time I would like to be a detective. I watch, I don't know if you watch HBO, but I watched the uh, recent Watchmen show, and there was a character in there called, uh, I think his name was Looking Glass. And that was sort of like his superpower. He would just watch people. And yeah. he could tell by their reactions, like he was a living lie detector. And I thought, man, that would be so fascinating to just study human behavior mm-hmm. and, and and just watch and learn. I mean, I know people do that all the world over, but yeah, I think I would love to just snap my fingers and have and all now. that knowledge, you know, matrix right. download. <laughs> okay. This is your last question. And this one's a little more tame. Um, have you ever personally participated in a fundraiser? If so, for what cause? Yes. Uh, well, several. I was on the board, uh, the communication committee for the United Way. Okay. And for uh, 211, um, the, the information hotline that's being used right now through the United Way, the volunteers organization. Uh, we raised money for, well, all the causes the United Way takes care of. Yeah. You know. Were you drawn um, to that for any particular reason? I was uh, volunteered by the same guy who got me onto the contraband, Seth Hopkins. <laughs> ah, okay. Right. I mean, I've been you volunteered know. before. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting, but it was a little more... Uh, administrative i I would probably like i've often thought if i had all the money in the world that i would spend a lot of time doing more organic uh work you know helping the poor yeah working like software christian community coalition yeah is it intrigues me because of the potential there and yeah they've got their tentacles into so many areas of need and i just I love it. I think it's fascinating. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. They are doing a lot of things, and that's actually one of those organizations. They fascinate me, too, because they are helping the community in so many different dimensions right now. Little ways. And they're behind the scenes. Nobody really knows about them, you yeah. know? Yeah, I agree. I have a dream of something I would like to do. I just I haven't really scratched onto it too far, but we were in uh, Thibodeau, Louisiana last year. My niece and I were there for an event for my son, and uh, I like to go to old cemeteries, and uh, my poor niece, you know, I'm like, hey, we're going to look at cemeteries today. What a great uncle, right? And (laughs) so I drug her around all these old cemeteries. Well, I found this one cemetery where they had done something called a scatter garden. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh Uh-uh. But it's a – it's basically for people that – are cremated and they can't afford to really bury or buy a plot. Okay. And so what it is, it's like a circular garden with all these walking paths that lead to the center. And there's just flowers growing everywhere, like little flower beds all over, but these brick walls that kind of surround it. And on the brick walls are all these little placards, Mm -hmm. little brass plaques. And it's got someone's name and their birth and death date. And I think if I read their sign outside of it correctly, you just contact that church and they basically just charge you for the little placard. 
Wow. And so that's, that's for, really yeah, neat. I mean, because so many people, I mean, I know we've went through that and it's like, you know. It's so expensive it and it's, a, it's an absurd, to me, it's an absurd waste of land. And I just, I would, please cremate me. Please don't buy a box yeah. and a place to put me. And I understand that it's a personal decision, but I'm just going to say. Anybody listening, <laughs> cremate me. <laughs> I'm with you on that. That's something I wish too. My family knows that. I just, I would like to do something like that someday if I ever have the means to. Oh, that's great. To have a place like that. I don't want to call it a pauper cemetery, but I mean, no. for, but for people that really, you know, I mean, just go look. I mean, I see it all the time. I mean, how many GoFundMe's people have to start just to bury a loved one? It is. That is the. It's the most horrible thing. You shouldn't have to worry about that while you're grieving. It's yeah. it's sad. And yeah. I, I love I love gardens and walking spaces. And I thought, what would be nice to just have a memory garden, a memory garden like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could even make it for pets too, and so something like that. I don't know. That's that's kind of in my brain somewhere that that would be something I would like to do. But you know, you got to have resources and right and time to organize that kind of thing. And I haven't done any of that. It's just sort of a a thought. Right. <laughs> it's a right. thought. But it's a good thought. Yeah, this it has is. been this has been a bunch of good thoughts. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for taking yeah, the time to here. do this. There is one last question and I'm gonna have to get you your mug. I know you're not in studio, so I'll I'll have to figure out how to safely get it to you. But everybody gets a yellow find the good news mug. Awesome. On, on the back side of the mug is the last question. And uh it's did anything good happen today? let's let's think about my day give me a minute i learned some new information for a side job that i'm working on and i feel very satisfied with understanding a process that's a good feeling yeah 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 that's good to me i mean you know besides besides it being an absolutely beautiful day and i I'm thrilled when it's windy. I, oh, Me too. I, love it. I do I too. Love it. It's frigid. It, it does. Know? It takes that humidity off that just makes us all yeah. crazy around here. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. <laughs> the sun in the Spanish moss as oh, it's, it's yeah. whipped around. It looks like jewelry. You know. Yeah, man, it sounds nice. You're right. Look at that. That's a good thing right there. Just a, a breeze. We were standing outside in the breeze the other night, and I told my wife, I said, "Man, this is." This is all I could ask for in Southwest Louisiana because I'm not a fan of the heat or the humidity. Oh, nor am I. Yeah. And man, just a breeze, just this constant mm. breeze would make it so much nicer in the summertime. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, that's nice. That sounds good. That is, those are both really good things to be thankful for a, a nice breeze and then also to to learn something new that you're, you know, that's moving you towards something you want to accomplish. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, that's those are healthy answers. We we made it all the way. We made we did. We turned it into good news. We went as I say. We went in the cave. We came out and lit lanterns on the way out. So the next people, hopefully, (laughs) sing on. I love you just as well. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Heather Reagan White. If you found something good in this conversation, consider helping me keep the signal strong by supporting Good News at patreon.com slash findthegoodnews. I thank you for pressing play, for listening, and for sharing good news.